Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I hope y'all are thirsty. You'll be drinking from a... a... Wow. You'll be drinking from a fire hydrant tonight. Okay, I'm taking my shoes off. Okay. Oh, man. Guys, it's been a while. It's good to see you. How's the journey been so far? Good? They're just already stunned into silence. This is good. Okay. All right. Good. Okay, if you got your little... Uh, little itty-bitty prayer books... We're going uh, to start with uh, one of my favorite prayers. It's called the Memorare, which is Latin for remember. Uh, it's a prayer that's directed towards Jesus through Mary. More on that tonight. Everyone got it? It's on page 23. Page 23. Oh, Chris, he made it. There he is. All right. All right. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided, inspired by this confidence. Fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do we come, for thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> All right, y'all. So, this is, uh, oh man, this is, I have an impossible task tonight, is what I feel. I have an impossible task, um, even more so than like when I was talking about like the nature of the Trinity and the person of Jesus and like... Like, that was that session. The Before that was, I was telling you the entire sweeping scope of salvation history. Like, those feel like pieces of cake compared to me trying to do an hour and a half on Mary. Like, this is, this is, this is the woman who I love more than anybody. And, uh, whoo, yeah. All right. We're just going to dive in. All right. Let's, we're going to start with this title. We're just going to start with the title that I gave this night. Hail full of grace. Hail full of grace. Anybody know? Whose words are those? Holly? Uh, angel. Which angel? Which angel? Gabriel. Gabriel, yeah. At what point did Gabriel say this to, to Mary? When you visit her, it was... That's when he first said it, right? Hail yeah. Grace. Yeah, yeah. So this is like... I, I get really annoyed with this particular translation because the actual, like, Greek here is full of grace is like heaven's nickname for Mary. Okay, think of like dances with wolves or sits on log or like runs from arrows. I, I, I don't know, like, like eats burrito wearing flannel, like whatever Chris's Indian name would be, right? This is heaven's nickname for her. Like of all the names that, he could, that, that God could have for this woman, this is like hail, comma, and he's addressing her, hail, full of grace, 
full of grace. Now, the actual Greek verb here is, it's the uh, future, what's the verb? It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. But the actual connotation here is, you who are continuously being filled with grace. Like, greetings to you. You who are, you who are continuously being filled with grace. By the way, this is one of my favorite statues of Mary. It's in my office. And I got this in Bethlehem. This is made from olive wood from, uh, from Bethlehem, which I think is pretty cool. So we can just stare at this all night. This will be the whole talk. <laughs> Everyone go home. All right. So, so yeah, this is, this is heaven's nickname for this woman, which begs the question, who the heck is this woman? Who is this woman that the nickname that heaven's given her is she who is continuously being filled with grace? That's what we're looking at tonight. Who the heck is this woman that that's her name? She who is continuously being filled by by grace. I'm going to be bombarding you tonight with images and music and quotes and things like that. And uh, I wasn't, it took me a long time to figure out which image I wanted for the title slide. This, by the way, is an image of the three hearts, right? You've got Jesus's sacred heart crowned in thorns. You've got Joseph's most chaste heart on the far right, and you've got Mary's immaculate and most pierced heart in the center. We're talking about this heart tonight. That's the one that we're talking about. But there was other images that were in the running. Most of them were Mary beating the crap out of the devil um, <laughs> because they, uh, these are all over the medieval manuscripts, and they are awesome. <laughs> this next one's my favorite where she's got her war hammer. Uh, and she's beating the <laughs> devil with, to death with it. Like, ah! Anyway, all right, so we're going to zone in on this image right here. This is a painting from an African-American painter named Henry O'Tanner. It's stunning. It's depicting the Annunciation. And what we're going to do here is we're just going to spend a few moments uh, soaking in some beauty, right? Um, I want us to soak in the beauty of this woman. Sometimes the poets, the artists, the the musicians, they are able to convey more truth than, than the theologians. Uh, there's more truth being conveyed in this image than pretty much anything I'm going to say to you tonight. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of content, but the content isn't as important as letting the, the beauty of this woman communicated through all these images bombard your heart. Like, if we walk away tonight not grasping, at least in part, that Mary is the most exquisite creature that God has ever made, then we haven't grasped who she is. Like there, there's a tendency in, in the Catholic imagination, the Christian worldview to, to kind of have a repulsion from Mary. One, because of artwork. Two, because we think like that's just freakishly not human. Like if we don't begin to, if we can't see that she is the most beautiful creature that God has ever made, then we're totally missing her. So what we're going to do here is we're going to soak in a few moments in a... Uh, a hymn composed by, um, the music was composed by a guy named Franz Bibel, not to be confused with the other Bieber. Uh, Franz Bibel, this hymn is called Ave Maria. And the text you have for it, I'm sorry, yeah, the text you have for it is on the sheet. Uh, if you didn't get a sheet, there's sheets over there. Also, it's in your little booklet. The text of the, of the hymn is the Angelus, which is on uh, page 18. So the Angelus is the the dialogue between Gabriel and Mary at the Annunciation. This whole hymn is the dialogue between heaven and earth, between, yeah, Gabriel and Mary. So let's just soak in a few moments in this exquisite hymn. Just let your eyes, you can look at the translation, the hymn's in Latin, but you can look at the English right there. Angelus, 
her beauty is what inspired that. She's the most depicted woman in all of human history. More artists and poets and sculptors and painters have tried to render this woman's beauty in heaven or in, in stone and glass, in canvas and clay, in marble. She appears in every culture and every form. She is by far the most depicted woman. More than just about any other person that's ever lived, humanity has been riveted by who is she? Who was this woman? It's one of my favorite images of Mary. It's a contemporary image painted by a guy named Greg Olson. This painting, just like, what does this do to your hearts real quick? Just like when you see this, what does this do? What'd you say? Did you say, mm? Mm. Yeah, that's what it does in my heart, yeah. Okay, moms, uh, what's your favorite part of this painting? I'll show you my favorite part. Yep. This is a good place to start to zoom in on this. The uh, she was a woman that you could rest your foot on. She was that real. She was somebody that you could touch. She was somebody that you could rest your foot on. She was someone who wore sandals, who had toenails, right? She was a woman you could rest your foot on. She was a woman you could touch. See, here's the thing. With all the art through all the centuries, like, yes, it's been inspired by her, but it can give us this impression that she was not exactly human, that she was like this floating porcelain statue who didn't really, like, she just kind of floated just slightly above earth. Like, she didn't have any body odor. She never had to go to the bathroom. Um, she talked in a British accent all the time. Right? Like, it's, there's this tendency that, like, to look at her as this, otherworldly figure and that's just that's heresy that's lunacy that's that's not christianity she was so real she was fully human and she was fully woman and everything that implies everything that implies john paul ii said one time and it scandalized people he said she was a completely sexual creature everyone's like what i thought she was the ever virgin mary like yes when you fill out those forms and it says sex and it's male or female, you don't write yes, please, right? It's, it's the noun. She was completely female in everything that it entailed in her body. Throughout the scriptures, it is her breasts that are praised. It is her womb that is praised in the scriptures. It is her femininity that for all time there in the scriptures is praised and singled out. She is fully, fully human, fully woman in every sense of the word. And I don't, I don't mean to speak of her in the past tense as if she's like no longer existing, like she's dead and gone. Like, it's like, spoiler alert, we're going to get to this, but like Catholics, we believe that she, because of the scriptures, based on the scriptures, that at the culmination of her life, she didn't taste death. She was elevated. The word is assumed body and soul into heaven. That right now, in the very heart and life of God, the Trinity that I talked about, in the very heart of the Trinity, is the body of a woman. Like, you can't get more exalted in a view of femininity than that. Like, there is no place for misogyny in Christianity. There is not a religion in the world that prizes femininity more than Christianity. Period. Period. You want proof? Her. 
She is it. She is it. She is literally in the heart of the Trinity, participating in the very life of God. She was and is real. She is, uh, as the theologians called her, our tainted nature's solitary boast. She is the she is the luminous revelation of what it means to be human. Like you hear people say all the time, like, oh, I'm only human. You have no idea what it means to be human. Like she is what it means to be human. Like you look at, you know, like what does it mean to be a golfer? You don't look at like, who is the, who is the NBA player who's terrible at golf? Um, what is it? Michael Jordan. No, not Michael Jordan. Um, oh, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley is notoriously horrible at golf, right? You say, what's a great golfer? What's, what does it mean to be a golfer? You don't look at Charles Barkley. You look at like a Tiger Woods, right? What does it mean to be human? Her. Like she is the definition of humanity. She is what you and I were meant to be, right? We are meant to look at her and see what we are meant to be, right? She is what it means to be human, what we all, God willing, will be one day because of our cooperation with grace. Like alive in a way we can't imagine, radiant and full of joy in a way we can't imagine, in a passion for the Lord we can't imagine. Like nobody enjoyed life more than her. Nobody enjoyed like flowers and puppies and springtime and raindrops and cuddles and kisses and pizza and I don't know if they had pizza. But like <laughs> nobody enjoyed all, like if they did have pizza, she would have enjoyed it the most, right? Nobody enjoyed life more than her. She wasn't just a porcelain statue who was like, I cannot enter into the dance. No, she was the wildest dancer. She sang the most, like, she sang the loudest. Nobody enjoyed sunrises and sunsets more than her. Nobody looked at crickets like she looked at them. Like, she was fully human, and she enjoyed life in a way that we can't even fathom. We can't even fathom. Like, all right, so before we go any further, what we're going to do here is we're going to try and clarify just some real quick obstacles that a lot of folks have when coming into the church, when it comes to Mary, some of these misconceptions that can be tough for non-Catholics. So first of all, you might have heard outside of the church, the Catholics worship Mary. Uh, no, we do not do that, right? We worship God and God alone, right? We, we are still a monotheistic religion. Mary is not our other favorite deity, right? She is a creature, so it's improper to worship creatures. You, you worship the creator and the creator alone. So we have a properly ordered veneration of Mary because we're Christ followers, right? Amen? Thanks for playing. Okay, we are Christ followers, and so we're trying to emulate Jesus. Anybody know, what's the fourth commandment? Uh, thou shalt honor your father and mother. Who do you think did that the most? Jesus. If we're trying to emulate Jesus, who do you think he honored the most? His mother and father. Right? You can't out-honor Jesus' love of Mary. You can't outdo Jesus' love of Mary. Right? Jesus honored his mother. We, like Jesus, honor his mother. We honor his mother. We venerate her as the word, right? So we have a proper Mariology in our Catholic faith, meaning we have a proper uh, veneration, love, and even study of Mary, right? There's a lot of uh, non-Catholics who accuse Catholics of Mariolatry, right? An idolatry of Mary. We don't, we don't um, worship her as an idol. We venerate her as the mother of Jesus, you hear also sometimes uh, people saying, like, I hear you Catholics pray to Mary, right? And I, I mean, I've, I've said this. I probably said it to somebody today. Like, yeah, I was praying to Mary. I mean, who here has ever, like, said those words? Okay, good. Like, I hope a lot of us are praying to Mary. What Catholics mean when we say I was praying to Mary was not, like, it's not, oh, dear goddess Mary, I'm placing this petition before you. Um, no, it's, it'd be better for Catholics to say I was talking to Mary, that's what we mean by I was praying to Mary, right? I was, I was talking to Mary, 
right? Just like I was talking to this saint. I was talking to that saint, right? Just like I'm sure many of us have gone to other people, even probably in this room, and say, hey, I got this going on. Could you pray for me? Wouldn't it be weird if, like, if someone, like, if Chris, if you, came to, if you came to me and you said, hey, I got this going on. Could you pray for me? I'd be like, whoa, bro, I am not meant to be worshipped. You should take that directly to the big man. Like, I don't know who you think I am, right? I mean, it's very nice of you. Like, you take that right to God. No, no, no. Because she's still alive, because the saints are still alive, we bring these things to them, especially to her, and she'll bring them to the Lord, just like we ask each other, hey, could you pray for me, right? I was talking to Mary. Here's the thing. Whatever the church says about Mary is ultimately defending something that we believe about Jesus. This is huge. This comes from the catechism. What the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines, in turn, its faith in Christ. Anything the church defines or declares about Mary is ultimately about defending or illuminating something about Jesus. Right? Could you maybe just close that door? I don't know if it's open or whatever. One of my favorite guys, Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen has this to say. God who made the sun also made the moon. The moon does not take away from the brilliance of the sun. All its light is reflected from the sun. The Blessed Mother reflects her divine son. Without him, she is nothing. With him, she is the mother of men. Mary is the moon. Mary is the moon. Anybody see the moon tonight when you're pulling in? It was stunning, wasn't it? Right? Mary's the moon. I love this image of Mary's the moon. Let's stick with this for just a second. Right? Like, the moon is brilliant. But again, like, is there any light coming from the moon? No, it has no light source of its own. Light source has no light source of its own. All the light is coming from the sun. S-O-N, S-U-N, whatever you want to do. Here's the thing. No Mary, no Jesus, right? He didn't get zapped down to us like the Terminator, right? Like he came through her, right? So no Mary, no Jesus. However, if we know Mary, we will also know Jesus, Let's try that again. No Mary. No Jesus. No Mary. No Jesus. Let's start with this, just to make us feel good about ourselves. Now we're going to go back here. All right. So we're going to go back to, um, we want to understand her a little bit better, right? We want to come to know who she is a little bit more deeply. We're going to start with what the church calls the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception. So many people have misconceptions about the Immaculate Conception, thinking that it has to do with Jesus being conceived in Mary's womb, and it doesn't. The Immaculate Conception has everything to do with Mary being conceived in her mother's womb, right? Who is Mary's mom and dad? Anybody know? St. Anne and St. Joachim, right? We know that from tradition. That's not in, that's not in the Bible, but we know that from tradition. St. Anne and St. Joachim. St. Anne and St. Joachim. Yeah. So, in fact, the Eastern Church, the Eastern Rite Catholics, our Byzantine Catholic brothers and sisters, they call the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which falls on December 8th, they call that feast day the Feast of the Maternity of Anne. The accent marks on Anne's maternity. So, actually, even in their iconography, the images they have of that feast day, what they depict is, they don't depict Mary as a baby. What they depict is Joachim and Anne in this, like, embrace. They're, like, kissing each other, and behind them is their nuptial bed, and behind them, behind all of that, is the temple. It's depicting the embrace, and how holy was that embrace, that the fruit of it is the Immaculate Mother of God, right? So in their embrace, in Anne's womb, 
God was constructing something. He was building something. He was making something. The new Eden. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of images at you. Don't worry about just trying to get it all, but just like take it in. Right? In Anne's womb, in this embrace, he's constructing, he's making a new paradise, a new Eden, right? Creation began with a paradise. Creation began with a garden. Creation began with untouched fertile soil called Eden. Recreation, redemption, the story of our redemption begins with a new Eden. But this one's made out of flesh, a new Eden, a new temple, a new tabernacle, all of these things. That's who Mary is. That's what's growing in Anne's womb. That's like the, the new temple in which the living God incarnate would come to dwell. That's what's going on there. And here's a, here's a close-up of Mary right at the beginning. You already saw it, so spoiler alert. There it is. Close-up. Almost, right? This is almost Mary, right? You kind of feel bad for this guy. Like, he was God, so close, right? 500 million. He almost got there. Yeah. Close only counts in hand... hand what's it? Uh... Horseshoes. Horseshoes and hand grenades, not in conception. All right, so here's what the church believes, immaculate conception. From the first moment of her existence, Mary was preserved from the wound of original sin. She was preserved from this wound. She was a spotless paradise, a new Eden, untouched and made, like I said, out of flesh to be the new soil out of which the new Adam would come, right? Think about the first story of Genesis. God makes the garden. Before he goes to make an image of himself in creation, it says God forms out of the clay of the earth the man, right? That's what Adam means, Adama. It means dirt man, <laughs> dirt bag, if you want some translation. I'm just kidding. It means dirt man, right? So out of the fertile soil of Eden, God forms the first Adam, out of the fertile, untouched soil of Mary, he will make the new Adam, right? Like I told you, you better be thirsty tonight. It's just a fire hydrant coming at you. How did this happen? How did this happen? By a singular grace, the church says, by a singular grace from the first moment of her conception, God saved Mary, as it were, in advance, right? God, who is outside of space and time, can do these crazy things that you and I can't do, like reaching forward into time, grabbing a hold of the grace and power of redemption and applying it back to his mother at this particular point in time, right? It is wrong to say that Mary did not need to be saved. She was saved just as much as we are saved, but just saved in advance. Like, think about this. Like, there's a hole in the ground. There's two ways that someone could be saved from that hole, right? Someone falls into the hole, and you could say, I will save you and pull you out of the hole. Or you could save someone by, like, as they're walking along, they're about to fall in, and you're like, whoa! and you grab them by the back of the shirt before they fall. That's how Mary was saved in this singular grace by God. God reaching forward into time, grabbing hold of redemption and applying it to Mary at that moment. How did he do that? He's God. He can do things like that. Can we save a question to the end? Yeah, okay. I know if I just like, yeah, all right. Hold on to it. Write it down. So to understand what God was doing in Anne's womb with this immaculate conceived ovum, right? Because that's, that's, I mean, she was conceived like we're conceived. To understand what's going on there, we have to zoom way out. We have to zoom way out to get a big sense of the big picture. So to do that, we have to go back to the beginning in Genesis, like I've already been alluding to. So the mystery of our creation, 
as male and female from the beginning. Our mystery of, the mystery of our creation is male and female. And what God says, the call of the two to become one flesh in this life-giving union of husband and wife, this marital love, that from the beginning was meant to be a sign, an icon that pointed to not only the kind of love that God is, but the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with the church. Let me, let me slow down on this. So like our bodies, like modern, the modern culture says that our bodies are utterly insignificant. Our masculinity, femininity, it's insignificant. It doesn't mean anything. The church says, no, no, no. It's not only significant. It, it, is, it is so significant. Why? Because it literally is a sign. Our masculinity and femininity is a sign and the call of the two to become one flesh. It's a sign that is pointing forward to the kind of relationship it elucidates, it illuminates the kind of relationship that God wants to have with humanity, which is another way of saying God doesn't just simply want to be your buddy. God doesn't just simply want to be pals with you. God wants a kind of relationship with you that is so deeply intimate that it's like the, the least inadequate image that he could give to explain it. He's like, it's, it's like that of husband and wife in the depth of their beauty, the depth of their intimacy, right? Like when God made an image of himself in creation, he didn't just make a man. He didn't just make a woman. He made a couple, right? He made a couple whose bodies and souls are complementary and they're reciprocally ordered towards each other. There's like there, there's a, a fittingness in their bodies. Like Adam looks at Eve's body when he wakes up and there she is. And he sees, oh my gosh, you are human, just like me. But you're not just like me. There's some differences there, right? And he's noticing that the differences complement, they correspond to his body, right? That there is written into our bodies this, this signature that says, I'm meant to be a gift given to the other. I'm made for union. I'm made for communion, Right? This is what God did by creating us this way. He's carved his very life as a trinity into our bodies. God, who is an endless communion of life and love, he's put, he's put, he's put that into our bodies. Is that clear? Does that make sense, more or less, right? So when we, we, we talk about the trinity, right? We say we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The trinity is an endless exchange of life and love. When you're meant to make an image of that in creation, he made a couple whose bodies can coordinate in a life-giving, loving way that brings forth another life, right? When the two become one, they become so much one that nine months later, you sometimes got to give that a name, right? And then they're three in one, right? That's how this works. So even further though, like God is the giver and the initiator of the gift. God is the one who creates. The God is the one who calls and redeems. God is the one who's pouring himself out. So in the analogy, God is always the bridegroom. Humanity, dudes included, humanity is in the posture of the bride, right? Humanity is meant to open and receive all of the goodness that comes from God. Humanity is meant to open and receive in the posture of the bride. Like we are meant to receive life. We are meant to receive life, which is why, like when you look at creation, when you look at Genesis, creation is creation on the way up, which means that woman is the crown jewel of creation. How's that sound, ladies? Right? Woman is the crown jewel of creation. Right? You ask any artist, the last thing in execution is the first. Jim's like, yeah, I knew that. Look at my wife. 
guys are just dirtbags. <laughs> I mean, Adam's made of dirt. She's made out of like something really nice, right? Yeah, she's the one woman's body. God made woman to be the archetype of all of humanity. Again, there is no misogyny in Christianity. Woman is the archetype. Like, what does it mean to be human? Like, look at woman. That is the image, right? Like, you open to receive new life. Receptivity. Receptivity to the gift. And in the beginning, humanity was settled in this garden, surrounded by flowers and plants and birds and bees and all these things, right? Everything around them was singing this love song that God had written into it. Everything, like, everything around them was singing this song of fertility and life and love. Everything was. Everything was. Like when the birds are chirping in the spring, what are they chirping about? They're looking for what? A mate. When the grasshoppers are doing their crickety thing, what are they, what are they singing about? What are they looking for? When the cicadas come out and they're like, that is like, that is Marvin Gaye in the cicada world. Like, that is like, let's get it on. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. Anybody here have seasonal allergies? Like pollen starts and you just like get to, oh, thank you. God bless you. I am like, I'm in the hot zone up here. Okay. What a good deacon. Servant, will you let me be your servant? Okay. You know what's happening when you're having like seasonal allergies with pollen? You know what pollen is, right? It's plant sperm. Okay? And it's trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions wafting in the air, and it floats into your nasal passages, and there's a piece of plant sperm that's trying to mate with your nose. (laughs) And your nose is like, hey, bro, I am not a flower, right? So your body's like, this is not good. That's what's going on with seasonal allergies. Everything in creation, everything in creation is witnessing to God's life-giving love. Everything is witnessing to this. Everything is witnessing to this. If only we would have the eyes to see it. Everything is witnessing to this. So Eve, emerging last in the story of creation, Eve was intended by God to be the masterpiece. She was meant to be the sign of all of humanity. And even more than that, like her femininity is a sign of creation's capacity to open and receive and conceive divine life. Right? Think about all those parables in the... In the in the Old Testament, the New Testament, where Jesus talks about, like, the land, right? Like, the land is espoused to the bridegroom, right? Or that there's a treasure buried in the field. A sower goes out to sow seed into the field. Like, St. Paul says, all of creation is awaiting redemption. I know this is a lot, hot and heavy for a Wednesday night, but this is what, this is, this is at the heart of all this. So Eve, woman, is, is the pinnacle of created fertility. I just want to take a second and just soak in some beauty with this real quick. Because God's a botanist. I don't know if you know this.
that's where we're stopping. Okay. <laughs> How beautiful is that, though, huh? Like, again, this is going to sound weird, but, like, we don't see these things. We don't see it anymore. Like, what is a flower? A flower is nature's most beautiful reproductive organ. Like, every flower opens to receive the seed. Every flower, every plant, everything is opening, is speaking of receptivity before the gift, right? Woman is nature's most iconic and beautiful flowers. What do brides carry when they walk down the aisle? Flowers. What is the main ingredient in, a, in women's perfume? What do we decorate our churches with in Easter time to talk about the return of the sun rising? What do we decorate our churches with? Flowers. You see what's going on here? Like this is, this is like all part of the iconography God intended when he dreamt humanity into being. Like this is who Eve was meant to be, the sign of openness. Humanity, like humanity summing up all of the rest of creation. Like, we are made of matter, just like everything else in creation. But unlike everything else in creation, we can respond to God through our free will, through our intellect, right? We can respond in love. We give voice and worship back to God on behalf of all of creation, right? So Eve, the woman, in this sense, is the openness, the pinnacle of openness. That's who she was meant to be. However, right, we know the story, our first parents were seduced and the enemy went to the woman not because she was weaker but because this is who she is she is the receptive one right the enemy goes to her and seduces them with a lie and what happens is humanity instead of being in this posture closes itself closes itself hides itself look at this image of eve right with the serpent wrapped around her foot she got the fruit grasped to herself she's hiding in shame Right? This is what we mean by original sin. This is the wound that Mary was preserved from. The fertile bride, the one who was meant to stand in this posture of openness, closes itself. This is the wound. This is the blemish. This is the, this is the problem of original sin. That there's some deep part of our DNA that says God's not trustworthy. Don't let him get too close. He's going to hurt you. He's a taker. So because this is the problem, humanity closing itself, salvation, redemption, all of this, the restoration has to undo this problem. We have to go from here back to here. See, that's the journey from this closed posture back to this open posture. God, as the bridegroom, has to coax out of us. He has to, like a lover, woo us back to this posture of openness. That's what all of salvation history is. So from the beginning, like God promised, God promised that he would do something about this. He would do something about this enemy. That just as sin entered the world through one man's cowardice and one woman's yes, life and redemption would enter the world through a new Adam and a new Eve who she would crush his head. By the way, this is, this is what's going on in the culture right now. Like you want to know why things are so crazy is Mary has her foot on the serpent's head and the rest of his tail is just whipping furiously. That's what's going on in the culture right now. The serpent who deceived us on a tree would himself be deceived on a tree. Because God is so awesome. And his head's going to get crushed. His head's going to get crushed. All right, so but much, much, much was needed to get us to that point. That God was working this plan of, 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 
a school of trust all throughout the Old Testament, that he was working with this people called Israel. He was drawing them together, drawing patriarchs and forming covenants and giving laws, and he was trying to form them into the right posture, like, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, I'm trying to get you to stand back up into this posture of the bride, bridal receptivity, open yourself, trust me, trust me. The thing is, centuries pass, right? And then this single moment happens when God looks at a single ovum in Anne's womb and says, this is the one where God acts in a singularly unique way and saves her, preserves her from this wound. Mary entered this world completely open. Mary entered this world with no hiding, no masking, no running. Mary entered this world completely open to the like Niagara Falls of glory that comes from God. There was never a part of her that hid from God or that covered herself. Right? Like as one cell becomes two and as two cells become four, like Mary is already at this moment full of grace, continuously full of grace. That word I said at the beginning is Kyrie Kektomene is her nickname. How would you like that as a nickname <laughs> as a kid? Right? She who is continuously being filled with grace. That's who she is. That's who she is. The Immaculate Conception of Mary is the proof that what Jesus did on the cross worked. It's the proof that what he did on the cross worked. Like, because in order for salvation to be affected, it has to not only be perfectly given, it has to also be perfectly received. Right? Jesus gives it all away, but she's the one who perfectly receives it. So she's immaculately conceived. Why? In order to become the virgin mother of God. That's what's going on. I'm going to share some great quotes. This is paragraph uh, 494 from the Catechism. As St. Irenaeus says, being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Hence, not a few of the early fathers gladly assert the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. What the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Comparing her with Eve, they call Mary the mother of the living and frequently claim death through Eve, life through Mary. This is from Justin Martyr. Christ became man by the virgin in order that the disobedience that proceeded, that proceeded from the serpent might, be, might receive its destruction in the same manner in which it derived its origin. For Eve, who was a virgin and undefiled, having conceived the, world of, the word of the serpent, brought forth disobedience and death. But the Virgin Mary received faith and joy when the angel Gabriel announced the good tidings to her that the spirit of the Lord would come upon her and the power of the highest would overshadow her. Wherefore, also the holy thing begotten of her is the Son of God. And she replied, be it done unto me according to thy word. Like, look at this. Okay, Eve and Mary, both women, both conceived without sin, both virgins, both are betrothed to a man, both have angels visiting them. Like, what is Lucifer? He's a fallen what? Angel. Who is Gabriel? A not fallen angel, right? Right? So this is like a, a new, like this is like the first annunciation. It just goes horribly. God's like, I'm going to redo this. We're going to have a new annunciation. Eve has disobedience. Mary has obedience. She conceives death. She conceives life, right? This is the, see what's going on here. Like her yes unties the knot of Eve's no. So I want to zoom back out on this moment, this pivotal moment of the annunciation. Okay, 
Remember, the problem created by Eve, this disobedience, this closed posture, right? The closed off bride, humanity closing itself off to the gift. Flowers unwilling to open before the sun, unwilling to receive new life. That's the problem. That's the problem. I don't trust you. If you get close to me, God, I'm going to be incinerated. I'm going to be destroyed. I'm going to be compromised. God, throughout these long centuries of Israel's history, is wooing humanity all throughout the long corridor of their prophets and patriarchs. And they're asking, it's as if God is asking, who will open to me? Who will trust me? Who will open to me? Who will receive? Is there someone? Is there a heart that will be bold enough to open and receive? Look at this. How powerful is this? This is called Mary consoling Eve. Look at them both grasping the fruit, right? Mary grasping the fruit of her womb. Ah, she's the one who's untying this knot, right? So God is looking for an opening all throughout the prophets. The description of God, Yahweh, as this bridegroom, it culminates in this book in the center of the Bible called the Song of Songs. In that book, you hear about this bridegroom who's coming to like his bride, And he's asking her, he's knocking on the door of her chamber. He's saying, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Like the the Jewish people, as well as the first Christians, they saw this as, "This this is our God. This is our God who's coming to us, knocking on the heart of humanity, saying, who will open to me? Who will open to me? Open to me, trust me. And you have this virgin who says, be it done unto me according to thy word. Mary, Mary, woo! You doing okay? Yeah? Glory, 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 glory. Bernard of Clairvaux, he said that all of creation in this moment was like leaning in. Like every tree, every shrub, like picture like every squirrel, like perched on the branch being like, what's she going to (laughs) say? Like all the birds, like there was this hush all throughout creation. What's she going to say? And she says yes, and everything just changes. Everything changes. Everything changes. Matthew's genealogy, right? All those names at the beginning we hear at Christmas. So and so begat so and so. So and so begat so and so. And like this is so boring. Get to the part, Deacon. Right? <laughs> These names are so important. This whole thing is so important because there's a moment in that genealogy where it's like so and so became the father. So and so. So and so became the father. So and so. Then Matthew says. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, right? So you're supposed to be like, okay, so this is like something's going on here, something different. So-and-so, but you didn't get so-and-so? Okay. It says, when Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. But Mary, was con- she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. How's that, right? How do you like that, huh? (laughs) This right here, this right here, this right here, this is what happened at the Annunciation. This is what happened. Like the super abundant, like, okay, I know this image, I know it makes this uncomfortable and weird, but like, think about this. 500 million sperm all racing to get to one egg. 500 million, okay? 
scientists estimate, doctors estimate that in the course of a man's lifetime, he makes somewhere in the ballpark of 525 billion sperm, okay? That's insane, okay? Absolutely insane. All racing to get to one egg, right? This is meant to be a sign of the superabundant life-giving love of God. This is meant to testify to the fatherhood of God, right? This is an earthly sign that's pointing to the Lord and giver of life, right? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. You say it like you mean it, Lord and giver of life. Amen, right? The Lord and giver of life. What kind of life? Earthly life? No. Like divine life, supernatural life, recreation life, resurrection life, right? This is Our Lady. This is Mary, pregnant with the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mary's womb, the church fathers described it. They said it's the mystical bridal chamber where the things of heaven, things of heaven are wedded to the things of earth. The things of heaven are wed to earth. The fire that is the glory of the Trinity entered her womb. She shows us, Mary shows us, what happens when we let God get close. She, de- she unmasks the lie of original sin. She unmasks the lie of the devil who says, if you let him get close, you're going to be incinerated. You're going to be compromised. You're going to die if you let him get close. She's like, really? Watch me. Watch me. Mary is... I love this image. Mary's the burning bush of the New Testament. Mary's the burning bush of the New Testament. What was the burning bush in the Old Testament? Yeah, what was weird about the bush? It was on fire, but not consumed. That's Mary. She is on fire, baby. She is on fire, but she is not consumed. She's on fire with God's love. She's on fire with joy. She's filled with grace. Like her womb is the mystical oven that's cooking the divine bread, right? Jesus, I'm the bread come down from heaven. Where am I cooking? I'm cooking in the womb. I want to be in the womb where it happens, the womb where it happens. That's where I want to be. I want to be in the womb where it happens. That's where I want to be. Mary, guys, whoo! She's a cosmic person. Right? In the book of Revelation, she's described as wearing the stars and the sun and the moon. Right? I love this artistic rendering of, the, of Our Lady Guadalupe, which, by the way, you should come to the event on December 12th. This is like a preview of that. Okay. <laughs> this woman is clothed, Revelation says, the book of Revelation says, she's clothed, she's wearing the sun. Right? Like you see like those red carpet events, like, hey, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who are you wearing tonight? Oh, I'm wearing, I don't know any designers. For, yeah, Versace. Mary, who are you wearing tonight? Oh, I'm wearing the sun, right? Like, you know, the big flaming fireball 96 million miles away. That's what I'm wearing, baby. Like, don't get too close, right? The thing that we have to be 96 million miles away so we don't get burned, she's wearing it. She is wearing it. This is who she is. She is the woman who is on fire. She's on fire, which is why, you remember when in Paris, Notre Dame, when that church burnt to the ground, these images, that's why this event was the diabolical mockery of this. Notre Dame burning in destruction to the ground is the mockery of the devil of what he intended for his mother, what he intended for the church. Remember what Jesus says, I came to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already blazing. Which, by the way, if you've seen the new image of our parish, the logo, the new uh, icon, 
like on the doors of, of the office and things, we wanted to accentuate the burning fire of Jesus's heart because his heart's burning for this parish. I came to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already blazing. It's blazing in her, baby. She's the, she's the oven. All right, so with the Annunciation, Mary becomes the virgin mother of God, the theotokos in the Greek. It means God-bearer. Theos, meaning God, and tokos, bearer. She's the God-bearer, right? This is one of the most significant titles, that Mary is the mother of God. Just let that sit for a second if you've never heard that statement. Mary's the mother of God. But again, this title, it's not about Mary. It's really about Jesus. Like this title was about safeguarding what we believe about Jesus. There's some complex history to all this. I'm just going to briefly cover it. That a bishop named Nestorius, he came up with this idea. It was a heretical idea. And if you ever want to start a heresy, they're going to name it after you. Okay, so just so you know. Nestorianism, Sergerism. They're going to have a, they're going to be a heresy. <laughs> I just, you know, you're just sitting there. <laughs> All right, so Nestorius had this idea that, that, no, this is ridiculous, that Mary did not give, to, she did not give birth to, the, to God. She's the Christotokos. She gave birth to Christ, right? She gave birth to the human nature of the person Jesus Christ. So in his mind, he was splitting this idea between Jesus' divine and human nature. The church met at this council in Ephesus, and they declared definitively, Nestorius, you are stupid and wrong. There's this great image of, of uh, St. Nicholas punching Nestorius in the face, which I love, right? <laughs> You don't usually get that version of Santa Claus. Come here, kids. Punch the heretics. We're here to give out presents and punch heretics. I've run out of presents. <laughs> That's funny. All right. All right. So this heresy, this wasn't so much about an issue with Mary. This was an issue about Jesus, right? Because like what Nestorius was, was saying was that God wasn't born. And that's the heart of the Christian claim that God became flesh. Like, did God actually become flesh or did he only appear to become flesh? Because the Orthodox Christian claim is that, no, God became man, right? The word became flesh. And look, I can sympathize with Nestorius. I have a lot of sympathy for Nestorius because this is crazy. If you can't sympathize with Nestorius, you have not thought deeply enough about what we say that Christmas is. You've not thought deeply enough about the incarnation, this claim that God became man. Like, like, like I, just to get my point, I'm going to show you an actual picture. I'm going to show you. I don't know if you know this. We have an actual photograph of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you an actual picture of Jesus Christ. God. Right there. That's what he looked like at one point. If that doesn't freak you out, I don't know what will. Like, you are awfully calm looking at this image. That's the claim. That's the claim that the second person of the Trinity looked like this. This is what a Muslim scholar tweeted out in Advent of 2019. Listen to this. He meant this as a jab at Christianity. He said, imagine believing that a woman gave birth to God, the Most High, and that he needed to be breastfed and taken care of by his own creation. Imagine believing that God used to defecate and urinate upon himself and had to be cleaned by his mother, exalted as Allah above their lies. Yeah, I sympathize with that because this is extraordinary. Like God, the maker of the stars, the one who encircled Saturn with its rings, the one like, 
who banged out the big bang, told the sea, this is how far you can go, grew in the womb of his mother, was nursed at the breast, got cold and hungry and sleepy, that God went down and took naps? Like, imagine, you need a nap, Jesus. <laughs> like, I can tell, you know? That God had flesh, that God had blood, that God could bleed and die, and God died. Like, whatever we can predicate, whatever we can say about Jesus, we can say that about God, because Jesus was God, right? God was crucified. God died on a cross. God was buried. What? What? Like, all of this, I, what we believe about the incarnation, all of that is bound up in the claim that God had a mama. Like, because God wanted to take on matter, he needed a mater. Latin for mother, right? Because he wanted to take on matter, he needed a mater. Ideas and abstractions, they don't need mothers. Like, who's the mother of the quadratic formula? Doesn't have a mom. It's an idea. But persons need moms. Persons have mamas. Real people have moms. And she was and is a real mother. She was a real mother. And she is our real mother. She was Jesus's, Mary was Jesus's final, like think about this. She was his final gift that he gave us from the cross. Like there's nothing greater. She was the final gift he gave. That when he had nothing left, he said, I'm going to give you my mom. I'm going to give you my mom because I needed her to grow. I needed her to live. I needed her. And I'm giving her to you. John, who stands for every Christian, she said, he said, John, behold your mother. Behold your mother. Behold your mother. She runs to us in our weaknesses. It's who she is.
John Paul II said that the words spoken to Joseph need to be spoken and received by every man and woman throughout every age of Christianity. When, jo- when God said to Joseph through the angel, do not be afraid to take this woman into your home. Do not be afraid to let her get close. Do not be afraid of her. Joseph, we believe because of all sorts of bad, st- stupid reasons that Joseph wanted to separate himself from Mary because he thought that she cheated on him, which is baloney, which is a ridiculous interpretation of the scripture. It says Joseph wanted to separate himself from Mary because he didn't want to expose her to shame. His shame. Joseph wanted to separate himself from Mary from the same, for the same reason that Peter, after this miraculous catch of fish, says to Jesus, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I imagine it's also what Paul said all the time when he reflected on the crazy grace that was being given to him when he said, I hold this treasure in earth and vessel. Like, I am so unworthy of this. I am so unworthy of this. Look, none of us, none of us have lived perfect lives. All of us have junk. All of us have crap. All of us have stuff. And we would be making an extraordinary mistake to think that before I let that woman get close to me, I got to fix what's going on here. That before that, all holy one draws anywhere near me, like, I got to clean this up. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Do not be afraid to take this woman into your home. Do not be afraid to let her run to you. Do not be afraid to let her get close to you. Do not be afraid. Mary does not blush. She doesn't blush. She knows what it is to be coming from a family of immense brokenness. Like in that genealogy, there is every form of human brokenness. There's rape, there's incest, there's violence, there's slavery. There's everything you can imagine. All forms of human dysfunction. That's the family line that not only she entered into, but that Jesus entered into. Do not be afraid to let Mary into your home into everything that is yours. Do not be afraid to let her get close to you. Like it's, it's, the same, it's the same invitation. It's the same challenge. Like we forget that we are always God's babies. We never grow up before the ancient of days. We are always God's babies. And here's the image, right? That we have all soiled ourselves we are all sitting with explosive blown out diapers right like like a bad spaghettio nightmare (laughs) and it's everywhere it's everywhere and like when when you're the baby you can't fix that for yourself you can't take care of that problem You can't be like, Mom, hand me the wipes. I got this. (laughs) Like, Mary wants to enter right into the muckiest places of our story with like a warm, wet wipe. And she's going to get into all the folds of all of our crap, all of our brokenness, all those Michelin tire baby legs, right? (laughs) She's going to get right in there. 
That's what she wants to do. That's who she is. She doesn't blush. She doesn't turn her nose. She doesn't get disgusted. She's your mom. She's your mom. She is the immaculate conception. She is the virgin mother of God. And she is, we're going to take a step further because I think you can handle it. I got 20 minutes left. She's the mystical bride of Christ. She's the mystical bride of Christ. Did you just say she's the mystical bride of Jesus? Yes, she's the mystical bride of Christ. The catechism says, catechism teaches that in the order of nature, Mary is always, she is always Jesus's mother. But in the order of grace, she is the mystical bride. She's the mystical bride. If he is the new Adam, she is the new Eve. Let's press into that. Remember again that God made marriage at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, right? Adam and Eve. He made that to be a sign, an icon that pointed to the marriage, the marriage at the end of the Bible, the marriage between Christ, the Lamb, and the church. The Bible begins, excuse me, the two bookends of the Bible are marriages. Genesis is a marriage. Revelation is about a marriage. The bookends of the Bible are marriage. The whole thing is about marriage. That's the golden thread. That's it. That's the thing that unlocks it all. God wants to marry us. He wants a relationship with us that is so deeply intimate, so deeply life-giving. He wants to scooch that close to you on the couch. <laughs> he wants to get that close to your heart, right? The first human words in Scripture, Adam looking at Eve, this one at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, this one shall be called woman. The last human words in Scripture the bride, humanity, crying out to the bridegroom, come, Lord Jesus, this longing for this consummation of the union, right? The wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. That's what heaven is. It's a wedding feast. It's the union of heaven and earth. It's the union of Christ and the church. So God made marriage in the beginning to be a sign that was pointing ahead to that reality, that heavenly reality. Like the church is personified, like the personal face of the church. The church is personified by Mary who stands at the foot of the cross as Christ gives himself up for her, as Christ pours himself out, as Christ offers himself up for us. That's who Mary is. There she is at the foot of the cross, right? The bride receiving from the heart of the bridegroom. Jesus pouring everything out, right? Just like Adam, in the beginning, he's asleep and God removes from his side the rib, which becomes his what? Bride. The bride is pulled from the side of Adam as he's sleeping in death. Jesus, asleep in death on the cross, the soldier comes up, pierces his side, and what comes flowing out? Blood and water. The two sacraments, baptism and Eucharist, these two sacraments that make the church. You enter into the church through the waters of baptism and you become part of the church more fortified and fully by receiving the Eucharist. Like pouring out of Christ's side comes his bride, right? The gift of Jesus' love pouring out of his side. And who's there to receive it? Mary. Mary. This is what happens at every single Mass. That's what the chalice is. That's what's happening at the altar. This reality veiled in that reality. That's what's going on. Like Mary standing at the foot of the cross is the mystical bride. 
the one that he is pouring himself out for. Listen to this from Fulton Sheen. Now we've always thought, and rightly so, of Christ the Son on the cross and the mother beneath him. But that's not the complete picture. That's not the deep understanding. Who is our Lord on the cross? He's the new Adam. Where is the new Eve? At the foot of the cross. If Eve became the mother of the living in the natural order, is not this woman at the foot of the cross to become another mother? And so the bridegroom looks down at the bride. He looks at his beloved. Christ looks at his church. There is here the birth of the church. As St. Augustine puts it, and here I'm quoting him verbatim, the heavenly bridegroom left the heavenly chambers with nuptials before him. He came to the marriage bed of the cross, a bed not of pleasure but of pain, and he united himself with the woman and consummated the union forever. And the blood and the water that, for, that came from the side of Christ was, as it were, his spiritual seed poured into the womb of the church to make her fruitful. And so from those nuptials, the bridegroom says, woman, there's your son. And this is the beginning of the church. I know this is heavy. I know this is not how we're used to thinking about these things. But God created these natural realities to be signs of supernatural realities. Right? Nicodemus asked Jesus, or Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, born anew, born from above. And Nicodemus asked Jesus, like, I mean, you don't mean I'm supposed to enter into the, back into my mother's womb, do you? Notice that Jesus doesn't say no. He's talking about spiritual reality. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you don't understand these natural realities, how are you going to understand these supernatural realities, right? Grace builds upon nature. The, er, the natural sign of generation in the natural order is pointing to supernatural regeneration. Like the church fathers, the beginning of Christianity, they've always, they've always talked about the baptismal font as the womb of the church, where Christians are born. Why do we call it Holy Mother Church? Because <laughs> she's giving birth to children, spiritual children, virginally, spiritually. Look at this, by the way. How powerful is this? This is, uh, I forget where this church is, but you've got these priests celebrating Mass. You've got a tabernacle back here. Got this image of Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. Right, right here, this is, a, this is a monstrance. This opens up. And there's a huge host that's right in there. So like what's happening here, right? Think of this whole church, the whole space as Mary's womb where the Word is becoming flesh, where Christ is becoming present. Where did that happen? Here. What's happening here happened there. And what's happening here is happening there. Like this is, you with me? You with me? Is this blowing anybody's mind? Or am I the only one? Okay, good. Okay, Jim's with me. All right, thank God. According, listen, this is Joseph Ratzinger who became Pope Benedict Sixteenth. So you know this has got to be true. That's a, that's a good Pope Benedict joke. Okay. 
The church learns concretely what she is and what she's meant to be by looking at Mary. Mary is her mirror, the pure measure of her being, because Mary is through and through God's habitation. And what other reason could the church have for existing other than to become a dwelling for God in the world? God does not deal with abstractions. He is a person, and the church is a person. Like Mary is the icon of the church. She is the icon. She's the, she's the blueprint of, of every, every Christian, especially of every saint. Like This is like the spiritual MRI of every saint. You take a, a, put John Paul II in a spiritual MRI machine, this is what he looks like. This is, this is an icon called the Theotokos. This is Mary pregnant with Christ. Look how like they've depicted the stars inside her womb. He whom the heavens could not contain was contained in the womb of the virgin. More spacious than the heavens is her womb. This is what's going on in every saint. This is what you and I are called to to open, to open our hearts. Like the womb in a woman's body is an organ that exists in her, but not for her. It's an openness that exists to house another person. That's what the heart is. The heart, our hearts are like wombs that are meant to conceive Christ there. Like St. Paul who said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Back then, in the ancient world, if someone was saying, yeah, I've got someone living in me, one of two things. Either that person is pregnant and they're a woman or they're out of their flipping mind. Right? Like, I've got people in me. Okay, Saul, let's get you moving along here. Right? Had one too many berries. But Paul is saying, I have Christ living in me. John Paul II I have Christ living in me. Mother Teresa, I have Christ living in me. What does Jesus say in John's gospel? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Like anytime you see the word in, in the gospel, there is so much power in that word in. I in you, you in me, abide in me. What, what? I want to abide in you? What? Carol Hauslander, who was an early 20th century British mystic, she said this, Mary is not only human, she is humanity. The one thing that she did and does is the one thing that we all have to do, namely to bear Christ into the world. And our crowning joy is that she did this as a layperson and through the ordinary daily life that we all live. How awesome is that? So, do I even need to ask, but do we need her? Do we even need her? Yes. Because she shows us what perfect discipleship is. She shows us what perfect discipleship is. Before she was even his mother, she was his disciple. Before she conceived him in her womb, she had already conceived him in her heart. It first comes to the heart, and then it sank down into her womb. 
It's not about, discipleship is not about getting all your crap together and then coming to God. Discipleship is opening all of your stuff, openness, just stretching it out, open, 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 to let God in, to let him love you there. Jesus comes to that deaf man, that mute man, and he says to him one word that's captured in Aramaic, still in our Bibles. He groans and says, Ephatha, which in Hebrew means be opened. Pope Benedict said the entire gospel could be summarized in that one word. Ephatha, Jesus saying to all the church, to you and to me, be opened. Be opened. She is, she shows us what it means to be human. She shows us what it means to be human. You and I, we were made for an exalted end that like, that if today, right now, if right now, appearing in this room, if you and I saw the, like the lowest saint in the kingdom, right? The lowest saint with the least amount of God's glory and light emanating from him or her, we would fall down and be tempted to worship that creature as God. Like if, if we even began to know like the glory that God has in mind for us, he wants to divinize us. He wants to transform us. Like we dream so small. We are going to outlive, outlive every mountain. Mount Everest, that's mortal. The great rivers of this world, they're going to all dry up. Every star in the universe will fizzle out and die, and you and I will still be here because we're immortal. And we have a glory that none of them have. Like the goal of our lives is not to be well-behaved Christians. It's to become Christ bearers. We're to become little Christ. We are to be formed into him. Like we need her to be our mold. To be our mold. Again, the mold. St. Louis de Montfort uh, said this, that like there's two ways you can make a statue, essentially. You take a block of marble and you could start hammer and chisel that whole marble, right? But he says one fell stroke of the hammer and you've ruined the thing. There's another way to make a statue. You get a mold and you pour molten metal into the mold and you have a perfect image. Mary is the mold. Mary's the mold. Specifically, her womb is the mold. Where, like, Christ wasn't formed in the abstract. He was formed there. Like, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we got to go where he began. We got to follow him where he began. Where did he begin? Here. This is the mold. This is the mold. Like, Mary's womb, Mary's heart, like, her, Mary herself, she's the perfect mold that molds us into Christ. The more we give ourselves and trust ourselves to her, the more we run to her, right? I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee do I stand, sinful and sorrowful, right? The more we run to her, the more we'll perfectly resemble him. Like, we cannot be afraid of this woman. She takes nothing away from Jesus. She takes nothing. We can't undo, we can't outdo Christ's own love and devotion of her. Like, we can't, like, Christ totally entrusted himself to her. Totally. He put himself into her womb. He said, I will be nursed and fed at your breast. I will be tutored at your table. I will grow in your home. He completely entrusted himself to her. Who are we to think, no, I don't need her. No, I'm not going to trust myself to her. 
Like, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you cannot have the Father in heaven, you cannot have God as your Father without having Mary as your mother. Period. There's no discipleship without following Jesus, without going to Mary. One of the most treasured ways that Christians have entrusted themselves to her, the way that we have flown to her, that we've sat with her, is this incredible devotion called the rosary. The rosary. It's how we place ourselves in her womb, meditating on the rosary. The word rosary comes from the Latin word rosarium, which means rose garden. Rose garden. One of the great titles of Mary is that she's the mystical rose. She's the mystical rose. Think again of the images of the flowers, right? The petals that open up to receive, that receive Maybe you've heard this, that oftentimes when Mary appears to people, they often smell roses. you know why? Why? It's not because Mary smells like roses. It's because roses smell like Mary. It's the other way around. The roses are imitating her. The flowers are imitating her. She is the pinnacle. She is the... Toda pulchra est. You are all beautiful, Mary. You are everything. You are everything. Every, every beautiful thing. Like every sunrise that has ever taken your breath away, every starry night, every shooting star, every newborn baby, every beautiful thing that you have ever seen doesn't come close to this woman. She is the pinnacle of created beauty, and she is a drop in the ocean of uncreated beauty. She is She is all beautiful. The rosary is entering into her heart. It's entering into her garden to contemplate. The word contemplate means to see within the temple. That's what the word contemplate means. It means to see within the temple. Mary is the temple. What are we going to see when we see within the temple? The word made flesh. We're going to see him. She wants to show us him. The goal of the rosary is not to get through 50 Hail Marys. That's not the goal. The goal of the rosary is to, as John Paul II said, to contemplate with Mary the face of Christ and to let Mary contemplate your face. We need to recover these images. This is, this is truth. This is beauty. This is who she is. This is who you are. Every single one of us began our life being fed at the breast. Both men and women are fed at the breast. Nourished there. Mary wants to nourish us. This is what you're doing when you're praying the rosary. And if you pray one Hail Mary... And you get to this point, just stop. It's done its job. The goal of the rosary is not to get through 50 Hail Marys. It's to get to this. To contemplate with Mary the face of Christ. We're going to end here. Amazingly, I, just, I don't know how the Lord does this with timing. It's so sweet. Okay. We're going to end by praying a, a litany of various titles of Mary. We'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle back. Yeah, we're just going to go a little bit over, but I think that's okay.
We're going to pray a litany here, these various titles of Mary. Um, these titles are so beautiful. The one that you'll hear, the very last one, is Mary, ravisher of hearts. Ravisher of hearts. If she is anything, that is what she is, that is who she is. She is all beautiful. And just like Joseph, you and I, we have to let her into our home, into our lives, into our hearts, to let her get close, and she will ravish our hearts. Deacon, if you want to read some of the, the petitions real quick, then we'll do this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray for Robert and Ruth, who will be on a retreat this weekend. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For Brandon and Lydia, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For my friend, whoever's friend it is, Katie, who has COVID. After, these, after each of these titles, the response is, pray for us. Mary, the new Eve, woman clothed with the sun, woman most beautiful, garden of the new Adam, virginal paradise, God's Eden, garden enclosed, Earth unsown, mystical rose, flower of Carmel, mystic bride, bride of the song of songs, spotless bride of Christ, bride of Joseph, open vessel of longing, open gate of heaven, open gate of dawn. Eastern Gate, created temple of the Creator, dwelling place for God, vessel that contains God, ark of the new covenant, temple of God, living heaven, holy chamber more spacious than the heavens, holy chamber of virginal wedlock, Bridal chamber of immortality. Bridal chamber made by God. Virgin most powerful. Immaculate conception. Immaculate heart. Nature's recreation. Nature's restoration. Holy and soul and body. Healing balm of integrity. My body's healing. Consoler of the afflicted, vessel rich in mercy, untire of knots, crusher of heresies, cause of our joy, Our Lady of the Assumption, Our Lady of Confidence, Our Lady of the Milk, Nursing Madonna, Nourisher of God and Man. Mother of fairest love, mother of the world, star of the new evangelization, ravisher of hearts. 
and through the intercession of Mary, our queen, our mother, the untire of knots, the mystic bride, the ravisher of hearts, may all blessing and glory and goodness come upon you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good doggy. That's it. That's the end. <laughs> there was